This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Did you read with Tim Montgomery? Welcome to the latest edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and this week to discuss the topical news, I'm joined by Matthew Paris, Roger Boys and Alice Thompson. When the Israelites didn't know where to go, they chose Moses to tell them. He knew where to go and took them there, or halfway there. The Labour Party don't know where to go either, but Ed Miliband is not Moses. If they want pillars of fire or cloud, they're unlikely to find them. He's unlikely to find them. I can't help feeling that this is not really Ed Miliband's fault. What's the worst, the very worst, that could happen in the remaining years of the Obama presidency? My bet is the humiliating fall of Baghdad to ISIS. That's why the US is preparing to talk to those sinister revolutionary guards in Iran to make a common front with them. Together with this increasingly desperate search for a nuclear deal with Iran, it shows how US weakness is turning the world upside down. Striking bargains with two-timing regimes is always going to end badly. Public Health England plans to test everyone at middle age to see if they're at risk of developing dementia. I don't want to know. Nor should we be paying doctors £55 every time they pick up a case early. There's not much you can do if you start putting the children's homework in the fridge. 850,000 people will have dementia by next year. We don't need to look at ways of diagnosing them, but helping them once they have the disease. Well, thank you. Those are our three topics today. I'm going to start um, with your topic, um, Matthew Paris, which is really the crisis, the tension, the controversy. I don't know in the Labour Party at the moment, but we're, we're meeting on Tuesday morning. Ed Miliband is still Labour leader. I think he's still going to be Labour leader by the end of the, uh, end of the week. But your point in your Saturday column, which for Times subscribers who go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central, I will put a link up to, you made the point that the crisis for the Labour Party isn't really Ed Miliband's leadership. There's a fundamental lack of definition and purpose. And you largely talked about the Labour Party, but you could say it about a lot of left-wing parties right across the world. Yeah, wither the left, I suppose, in the 21st century. Ed Miliband is just the symptom of the problem. The Labour Party don't really know what they're for. Uh, They've elected a leader who perhaps does. He's perhaps really rather left-wing, but he daren't say so. And so now they're angry with him for not giving them a clear sense of direction. But if they could have elected David Miliband as their leader, they can elect 
Alan Johnson, except he's said he won't. They can elect anyone they like, but until they've decided what the Labour Party is for, the leader is always going to look rather faltering because the party is faltering. Alice Thompson, do you basically agree with Matthew's analysis or even if the left does have this problem of definition and purpose, that party led by Alan Johnson still probably would be stronger, would it not? Well, strangely, I think it would because there is always a bounce back effect if you have a new leader. So John Major had it and so did Gordon Brown, actually, which is why you should have called the election. And what happens is the electorate are incredibly fair and decent and they think, oh, there's a new man in there. Let's be nice to him. We better be kind. We should give him a chance. And that is why the Tories really must hope desperately that Ed Miliband is still there because if he is still there, they've got a very good chance. Whereas if they get... I mean, Alan Johnson won't want to do it, but he would have quite a good chance. It's, it's just the idea of someone new, and they will think, fair play, you know, maybe he could do something. He hasn't proved himself to be a disaster yet, and I think that's very worrying for the Tories. But Roger Boys, Labour, they had Michael Foote, they had Gordon Brown, they had Neil Kinnock. They don't get rid of leaders in the way that the Conservative Party gets rid of leaders. We all have... Is the Labour Party having this great debate, wounding their leader, but with no real likelihood of ditching him. Yeah, I I suppose it's an attack of nerves. Uh, There are structural problems about getting rid of him. I I do take issue with this idea that there is some insurmountable crisis in European social democracy and and that Ed is somehow just a, you know, just an appendix to that, because what we're seeing in Sweden and in Italy and in France with Hollande is actually relatively unpopular leaders, social democratic leaders, doing quite well at the polls. There's something... There's some... Well, no. (laughs) Well, yes. I mean, no. Okay, not in the opinion polls, but I mean, he he has a general support for a lot of policy. But it doesn't... Doesn't Holland, the case of Holland, though, prove Matthew's point in a way? He stood on the ticket of opposing austerity, has had to largely introduce austerity, and his ratings have fallen like a stone. Yeah, but, um, well, perhaps we'll leave along for one side (laughs) Not because it disproves anything, but because it just clutters things. But you're right. But if we look at Sweden, Sweden Sweden is extremely interesting. And Spain's got their new party as well that's done very well, hasn't it? But Sweden, if I might say something, I mean, Sweden, uh, the Social Democrats won partly on the back of a crisis that was to do with the uh, privatization of old, uh, old people's homes. And there was a television program about exposing the fact that old people in, in, in care homes were being forced to use their nappies three times a day to save money uh, in order uh, because of the bottom line of, um, so to speak, of, of um, uh, you know, the, 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 the yes, yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I had to slow down to, to allow, you know, uh, to keep the profitability going. Well, exactly. And this so shocked that welfare state, um, you know, culture that mm. they wanted someone to come and not with a vision of the future, but someone who would protect the gains of the past. And, and that brought the Social Democrats in. Well, a similar mentality seems to be, cons- I mean, say what you like about Ed, but he's got a stable 30 percent you know, over all these years, hasn't he? I mean, over these years, over these months, mm. uh, it hasn't no, really no, gone it, down below that thirty percent. So there is, it is in decline mm. though now. There's a real mm. you look at the graphs; it's a real decline. And in Scotland, yes, yes, of course, there, there's it's got ratings problem. a bit like yeah. Holland. Mm. Mm. No, there, there's a, there's a strong core vote for left of centre parties right across Europe, and I don't say that a left of centre party can't ever win a general election. I, I just don't think 
the left really knows what it would want to do once it has. Mm. And I, I really don't think the Labour Party does know what it wants to do. If, if you look at America, which has probably been the most, uh, you know, the, the most fascinating thing really about since the Great Recession struck, is the left thought this was a crisis of capitalism. And what we've seen in Australia, Canada, Britain, Germany, is the election and the dominance of centre-right governments. The big exception has been America. Obama enacted this huge new entitlement, which many people would understand why he did enact Obamacare. But now even America is catching up. There is this reaction that America cannot afford ever bigger government. And when the left's defining purpose is ever bigger government, it's bound to run into to trouble. So I think Matthew is largely right, but I think he does still understate how bad Ed Miliband is. I, I don't agree. Ed Miliband made actually rather a good speech to the CBI, mm. uh, a thoughtful speech. The other two leaders, Nick, Nick Clegg and David Cameron, just the usual guff and bluster. But you wouldn't. Don't, don't, you, don't be rude about David Cameron. I don't like it when you're rude about <laughs> David Cameron. <laughs> but you, you really wouldn't know it from the, 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 the Twitter sphere and the commentary that he can't do anything right, Ed Miliband, any longer. People have just got it in for him. He and I think they're going for the symptom. He's become a scapegoat. But, but what do you mean by ratings? Let me nope. just press <laughs> Matthew a little bit on this because, Matthew, his ratings are worse than Nick Clegg's. And Nick Clegg is someone who has had some of the worst ratings of any party yeah. leader because of those broken promises, particularly on tuition fees. He hasn't yet taken any decisions in government and his ratings are Holland, you know, Holland size. Yes, exactly. We've all is, decided we're going to hate him. But, it, but is this just, you sound like one of these left-wing conspiracists who are blaming it all on the media. I think it's a, the British people are fundamentally, have made a fundamental decision about Ed Miliband that they don't think he's prime minister. Yeah, but then they still might think that if you look at, say, William Hague, everyone thought he was a very bad leader. But actually, once he'd left the position of leader, he became a very good man and actually a very good politician in many ways and still is a very good politician. And I think you're right. I don't think actually Ed Miliband is like IDS. I don't think he's that bad. And I don't think, in, in many ways, actually IDS then did better outside the leadership. But I think you might find that with Ed Miliband, that once he's stopped being leader and he does something else, he could do something quite oh, well, interesting. I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but we're talking about his qualities as leader at the moment. Ro Roger Boyce. Yes, I, having lived in Germany for a long time where they deliberately vote in leaders without charisma. It, it's a function of a, a, a coalition, a coalition politics culture, because you have to abandon so many positions soon after the election. You actually can't have a Blairite figure. You need somebody else. You need someone who uh, who is faintly submissive or or whatever. But either way. Schroeder, uh, you, you go. He's more of a sort of Blairite, charismatic figure. I don't know why I'm arguing with you all this through. This yeah, I don't know either. I'm, uh, since <laughs> Merkel is the obvious example of, of someone who has risen, risen by being uh, unspectacular and and largely uninteresting. And it may be that he's captured some <laughs> of the zeitgeist because, you know, that speech exactly that speech in CBI was really interesting because basically he was saying the British don't really care about this referendum. You know, it's messing up uh, internal investment. And you know he's making these are conventional of, of, arguments, of you know, but, no evidence, yeah. of which there's no evidence. But nevertheless, he may be right that we're all that ordinary British voters are just a bit fed up with Europe at the moment, and he may actually be an expression of that in in some way. And so, of course, he's totally uncharismatic. Before we do move on to our second topic, just quick fire to each of you: Will Ed Miliband still be Labour leader at the next general election? Alice? Yes. Oh. Yes. Matthew, yes. 
What after? But how many months after the election will he be? Uh, no, uh, by the time of the election. Oh yes, 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 at the election he will. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good. Right. Well, our second topic is your topic, um, Roger, and um, you are worried that um, we're not taking the fight against ISIS seriously, and or perhaps in taking it seriously, we form some strange, dangerous alliances. Yes, I'm not quite sure that's my argument. Uh, uh, first what of all, you well, my <laughs> we're going to um, find something we agree yeah, on during well, this podcast. Soon. <laughs> well, we won't go down the sartorial route. I can tell you that right now before you get any <laughs> stupid ideas. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, just for those who have no idea what we're talking about, Roger is wearing a tank top today, which he insists is a sleeveless jumper, and I will put a picture of him wearing this wonderful garment on our Comment Central blog so that you can inspect. Um, his wardrobe. Yes, um, Roger, please. Be yeah. <laughs> Apart from sounding the death toll of this podcast, uh, <laughs> uh, Tim. Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, it's not. Uh, it, basically, I'm worried that um, that America is being steered more and more by a fear that it's that Baghdad will in some way be lost, and a desperation that some deal has to be struck in a Reagan Gorbachev way. To make uh, to add meaning to uh, to the Obama presidency, and I think these com this combination of fear, the fear of the possible loss of Baghdad, which would mean a humiliating rollback of U.S. policy. Mm. You know, I mean, for the last uh, more than a decade, it's been uh, uh, at the center of uh, U.S. thinking. Uh, and to lose it now to ISIS because you've miscalculated on different levels is is a terrible guide to policy. And it's steering America into this very awkward corner where it thinks it has to do a deal with Iran of some kind. And I think that's uh, an, uh, an absolute error because Iran has a long, long track record of deceit and uh, is itself acting out of weakness and out of fear and is, is a mischief maker. Let me come on to that in a minute, but how likely, just on the specific issue of the fall of Baghdad, Obama would not have sent the extra 1,500 troops into the country if the Pentagon or the CII weren't telling him there was real danger of something going worse in Iraq. He, he, every instinct that he has is not to send more US troops in. But at the same time, ISIS have struggled to really get out of Sunni areas. Shia, uh, Baghdad is largely a Shia city. Are we worrying too much about the likelihood of the fall of Baghdad? Can no. ISIS really break through into that city? It's very close. It, 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 it's, and people have forgotten about it, and so we don't, we're not talking about it. But actually, it's half an hour drive uh, out of the city. And uh, those 1,500 are obviously not going to change the course of battle. Um, ISIS is really beginning to pick up recruits much faster than we can train, for example, the Kurds or, or whoever else we're deciding to train. And by the end of... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Next year, they should have about 40,000 people in this, even allowing for you know, convoys being bombed. That's a lot of people. 1,500 trainers is not going to solve the situation. Of course not. But there are a lot of Iranians on the ground, a lot of well-trained Iranians on the ground. And, in in uh, and around Baghdad? Yes, yes. And they're the ones who are going to give the, the, the backbone to the defense of Baghdad. Well, this is a ridiculous situation. And it, we've bumbled into it. America, more, more specifically, has bumbled into it. And it, to me, it's a symptom of decline really i can't believe this roger you're sounding more and more like fox news <laughs> as though the, the answer to everything is more muscular american international um. intervention how did we get into this mess in the first place i mean you're quite right george w bush certainly did react to um, to uh, uh, an, an international difficulty but by by wading in militarily uh, he he did in iraq he did in Afghanistan, and latterly, of, of course, uh, Obama did in Libya. Well, those went well, didn't they? The ISIS is partly a, a, a creation of the muscular exercise of American uh, military power. It'll, it'll sort itself out when the region sorts itself out to wade in with more and more force, uh, more and more troops, and think that we can somehow hold the ring there. It's really 20th century thinking. So you're... 21st century solution, Matthew, is Stand to back. is to surrender Baghdad to uh, a surrender. Group of, it was never a group of decapitating place. Islamists who intend to yes, as, as create we've a, as, as we've surrendered uh, the, uh, the Congo to a whole lot of um, machete uh, wielding barbarians. Uh, we we surrender. So you think there's a decolonization everywhere. model here that that needs to be brought I, I, out? I, I, I don't I think, think Congo I quite think fits. Is it? There's a we are no longer the world's policeman model, and that's true of America as well as... Do you not think, though, that, Matthew, we went, and I know you opposed it, but we invaded Afghanistan because the Taliban are a much less developed foe than ISIS, controlled a significant amount of space. This is an army with quite a bit of sophistication, a lot of money, ability to communicate across the media. Do you not think that if we let them set up a permanent territory in the Middle East that they won't some, at some point come after us? Their, their attempt to communicate across the media is being materially assisted by the fact that we are now the other side. I think we should step back and let the regional powers sort it out for themselves. Saudi Arabia has huge armed forces, mostly sold to them by us. Uh, why is Saudi Arabia are not getting involved. Why are the Gulf states? But what if they don't? What if they don't get involved? Well, they'll all just they'll all just crash and burn. And we might crash and burn. No, we won't. No, we're fine. No, well, <laughs> well, I, I'm glad to hear Matthew's life view about this, but I I, I can't imagine that we are fine in this. Um, I I do see that there has to be certain limits set on how we behave, and that's to say we can't expect to go in and keep a country together that's quite plainly falling apart. 
and we can't be in the business of nation building. We've made lots of mistakes there and um, lots of cultural mistakes as well. Uh, but the fact is, these people are a threat to us, and uh, not, uh, that's to say, not just to the natives, as uh, to use your colonial uh, metaphor, but but also to us. These people are a threat to us, whether we stay in or whether we stay out. So better that we get in. Alice Thompson, you've heard the <laughs> Paris boys debate. Um, which position are you closer well, to? Well, actually, I've had both positions, held them both. I was very pro the first uh, war in Iraq, and I wrote about it at length, and I actually did a comparison. My husband was very anti it, and he went on a lot of marches. And then I was sent into Iraq, actually, the day the war ended, because um, I was so gung-ho, and I spent four weeks there, and that did change my mind completely, actually. It was such a disaster, and the looting was such a disaster, and the country was such a basket case by the time we'd arrived. And because we have never... And didn't throughout the end of the 20th century have any plans what we were going to do with any of these countries that we invaded mm. it wasn't worth it in the end if you can't follow it through as we know you, it, it isn't worth it and that's what's going to happen again I mean we don't really know what we're doing with any of these countries so actually my position is far closer to Matthews now and having spent you know enough time going back there and going back to Iran and in Afghanistan I feel I'm probably more and more of Matthews opinion I don't know whether that's because we're getting older or what, but I, I feel very strongly, actually, that we are deeply messing up these countries now. But even if, even if you and Matthew are completely correct about that and that we did completely mess it up and it's our fault, the fact that it is now a country with a significant terrorist army, for want of a better description, we cannot just turn our backs on it and wish that we had not intervened, can we? we this is, a, this is a, a threat to not just the regional powers, but to us as well. Why are they a terrorist army? They're just an army. Well, you well they're ones that, an army that's threatening us on an almost daily basis. Uh, and I on think, our territory. I mean, that's the yeah, danger. Whether they do, they do. I think the danger now, and what you look at, if you look at what people mind about now, is the attacks in Britain. So our most read piece this week has been, you know, we are definitely going to have a terrorist attack in Britain, and that's that's when the issue arises. I think it's not going to these other countries as if. They're so coming so we us. wait until we're struck. Well, that's we why I think, it, in a way, Obama has to do something and why we're doing something. I don't think it's for any other reason than that, actually, in the end, I mean, you can call it self-interest, but in the end, it is because it's a terrorist organisation, because it's, it's actually acting without, you know, outside the country and without mm. rules and regulation. The final uh, word to you um, on this, um, Roger. Michael Burley wrote a piece for the Times last week on all of this and the particular sentence that struck me he said each day about 7.5 million dollars worth of jet fuel and smart munitions are used by the Americans to obliterate the odd Toyota truck to slow in adverted commas ISIS momentum even though this is palpably not happening that criticism of the US intervention a fair one? Yes, absolutely fair. I mean, I disagree with almost everything else in that article, by the way, but, but uh, that, this disproportionate use of air power because you're afraid of putting uh, ground troops in or, or making any kind of sensible commitment to, to combat is, is absurd. Yes, of course, they're, they're, they're up in the air and they're shooting trucks. What, it makes no sense whatsoever. Okay, well, we must uh, move on, although I don't think we've quite reached agreement on this uh, <laughs> topic. I wonder why. But uh, I think we'll be coming back to it. Dementia is our third topic. It was a column you wrote last week, Alice Thompson. Mm -hmm. And very movingly, I thought at the end of your column, you talked about your father's experience of dementia. But you're quite sceptical of the current Department of Health approach to this issue. 
Yeah, so I'm pretty likely to get dementia because I have a great grandfather and two grandfathers and a father who have it. Um, and I think, so I know I, I'm quite likely to, but I still don't want to be tested for it. And I still don't want my GP to get 55 pounds for telling me that I might have it. Actually, what I want and what, you know, having seen my family, what you need is help when you have it. And actually there is so much you can do to help dementia patients and it's not something you ever recover from and the research hasn't actually got far enough now to recover from it so there's so little research on it that we're having we've got 17 research programs worldwide into dementia and we mm. have you know 40,000 on cancer and it's it's such a huge disparity that's where the money could go it can either go into research or it can go but into it helping people. Hasn't the money been withdrawn partly because the drug firms were seeing so little progress they've been working on these issues for 15-20 years and it almost made zero progress and have almost abandoned the fight. Well, I think more that the drugs companies think you're going to die from it anyway it's very difficult to get results and actually it's an elderly problem whereas cancer isn't so there are definite reasons why and why nice are more likely to give drugs for cancer than they are nice the national institute the national, of clinical yes, they, they they are they are skewing it towards cancer because they feel that it's something that you can recover from and it is also something that you get when you're younger but on the other hand there are patients getting it in their 40s and 50s and you can see that happening and it is an interesting area and there is so little research that has been done on it, particularly on Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's is a much crueler disease often and can be much more violent and ways to stem that and help that and help people. And, and then it's just practical things. I mean, there's so much money that could be spent practically. And the idea that you're giving away 8 million quid a year to GPs who don't want it, I mean, they don't like the idea of being bribed, seems completely extraordinary to me when you could be spending that on better care, you know, on more than these 15 minute, you know, once a week, and meetings that you have and in, your, and in your piece and I repeat what I said earlier for those who subscribe to the Times listen to this podcast go to thetimes.co.uk slash common central and I'll, I'll put up a link to the article you wrote but you also had quite a big emphasis on looking after carers more more respite for, for their for them in their very difficult role sometimes yes, well, it's almost like well, I mean there was that story this week about not leaving a child for more than five minutes you can actually leave a child I have four children and I do leave my children on their own in the house whereas I don't leave my father you can't leave people with dementia for more than five minutes because they do wander around and they do stray and they have totally forgotten what's going on and so it is a full-time job and it is in the night as well so it's not something that you can take on very easy and often the people who are doing it are the partners who are quite often very elderly themselves who really do struggle and because the care system now in local authorities the system that's been worn down so much there is very little money to help these people I certainly, Paris. I certainly agree with Alice about paying doctors to diagnose dementia it's absolutely grotesque I'm terrified of going to my doctor now I mean he'll he'll see this blundering elderly gentleman wandering out and he'll in and he'll or out and he'll hear the the cash registers ringing I, 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 shall, I shall not leave without a diagnosis I don't think you're elderly or blundering thank you very much but although I thought your column was extremely moving and it was a very loving sort of column I can't really agree with its conclusion that, that it's not tragic when people lose their minds. I think it is tragic. I, I, it's not particularly tragic for them. It's tragic for everybody around them. And for my own part, I'm, I'm determined to top myself before I lose my mind. Well, my grandfather did, actually. He, mm. and, and actually, I was, you know, to be honest, and it's very sort of personal, but I always admire my father so much because he obviously realised he was getting dementia. And he is the most extraordinary man because he's just incredibly calm and kind and generous. And he's obviously decided how to live the last days of his life. And he does it very, very beautifully, actually. Mm. He's, he's a wonderful person to be around. And 
he just lives in the moment and actually I think that we can do more to help people do that. Roger, yes. boys, have you had experience in your uh, family? Of well, dementia? I did work in a Swedish hospital when I was learning Swedish about 20 years ago, bathing uh, dementia patients, and it was really quite an interesting uh, exercise. Sweden does seem um, does seem to have got it right. They've got memory clinics. Uh, they have community um, dementia specialized nurses in the community. You can do a master's in dementia studies. You know, these the, it's. As a society, you have to get ready for this, and we're not really. And I think this, you know, tipping tipping the GP for identifying something out of a whole cluster of symptoms, is not the way forward. You you have to approach it with some kind of structure because, as Alice says, it puts a massive strain on everybody else. Uh, it, the Germans, for example, one of their ministers is an old age minister, um, albeit women in old age, but still, you know, it's a, and, <laughs> <laughs> and they, um, uh, you know, and you can see the effect. Uh, you do get dementia clinics there too. And there's one that I visited uh, that has a fake bus stop so that people wonder if patients wonder from the hospital, that's to say, escape from the supervision of nurses, to go home, you know, they irrationally pack their bags. And you find them later waiting at this bus stop, which of course is a completely fake bus stop. That's awful. That's absolutely awful. I don't see anything kind of um, moving or, or encouraging or positive about fake bus stops for people who don't realise that they're not at a bus stop. Uh, no, it's a way of anticipating problems though, isn't it? I mean, and that's what I know we need as a society to do. I know the problem and it won't be with a fake bus stop. The best well, example actually is the in 22 Holland. Sometime, I tell you. <laughs> the best example is in Holland actually where they have these amazing units and they've, they've built one and they've now got two or three more going up where you choose what kind of house you live in which I love the idea so you decide whether you want to be posh or whether you want to be working class or what you want to be and then you go into that home and you have people who are similar to you and it doesn't cost any more whichever one you're in so you can have the white napkins or you can have a beer and it's amazing they said how people do choose exactly the right and they're not worried about so anything could, other than just so being could somewhere. Matthew Paris choose a house yes, well, I was going to ask you what you choose. Yeah. Yes, you see, you could choose the media-friendly one. <laughs> it would depend which columnist, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on that note, I think we may have well have run out of time. So thank you to uh, Matthew Paris, Alice Thompson, Roger Boys in his tank top, and, of ah. course, um, Dave Maguire, my producer. Thank you to all of you, most of all, for listening. And we'll be back next week with another set of topical issues to discuss. Goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.